Hey, welcome back to the show. Welcome to episode two. So I originally thought I'd do a more palliative care focused episode for the inaugural show, but it just didn't feel right. And I'm trying to do things lately that feel right. Trying to lead from my heart rather than my head. So instead, I thought we'd talk about it today. Because for me, palliative care really embodies everything that I love about medicine, why I went into it, and it's taught me so many lessons about life, love, grief, sadness, suffering, and everything in between. Lessons that I hope to share with you over the course of this podcast and hopefully beyond. So I mentioned this in the first episode a little bit, but palliative care is a subspecialty in medicine that aims to really reduce human suffering, to improve quality of life for patients with serious illnesses, which include cancer, heart disease, kidney failure, things of that nature. And when I was in residency, it never occurred to me that I could pursue palliative care afterwards. No one in my class actually went straight into palliative care fellowship. And the field itself is still pretty young compared to other subspecialties that you've heard of. And I started med school, or I started a residency, I would say, thinking that I wanted to be a gastroenterologist. I had done electives in GI, and I thought I was going to be scoping day in, day out, and all of these things. And then at some point, I kind of realized that I didn't really like being around poop. Not to say that I have any particular problem with it. In fact, I count myself as someone who is fairly open about GI things and bowel movements. I grew up in a family where it wasn't something that was hush-hush or taboo. It's just it's a bodily function. Everyone does it, and that's that. But at some point, the more that I saw and of other fields, I just didn't really feel that GI was for me. So I kind of went away from that. I thought I wanted to do critical care for a while. And then I realized that that was probably a little bit too stressful (laughs) for my lifestyle and my personality, I would say. I think a lot of people end up finding what they want to do in medicine through a process of elimination. So I became a hospitalist after graduating residency. I worked for four years as a hospitalist taking care of patients who were admitted to the hospital. And that ranged from really everything, strokes to heart failure, kidney problems, infections, pneumonia, cellulitis, you know, all run-of-the-mill and sometimes not run-of-the-mill things that would land you in the hospital. And I, I loved it. 
and I still love it. I don't do it anymore because after a while for me, I got the sense that I wasn't truly treating what I wanted to treat in patients. I wasn't truly getting at the heart of the matter. We would have patients who would come in for heart failure and it would be their fourth, fifth, sixth admission that year. And I would give them meds, tune them up, get them dry, have them pee, do all this stuff, diurese them, educate them about their salt, yada, yada, and then send them out and they would come back in a few months later. What I didn't really get down to the heart of with these patients, and it's not just heart failure patients, but I felt like I was missing some fundamental thing that I wanted to be able to talk about with them. I felt like I didn't have the training and the the words to be able to tell them and talk to them and counsel them that, hey, maybe your disease is getting to a point where we might need to start talking about what your life is going to look like if this disease continues the way that it's continuing and progresses the way that we think it's going to progress because it's your fifth time in the hospital this year. And it got to a point where I started feeling like I was somehow inadequate, I guess, that I wasn't really talking to my patients about the difficult things, having the difficult conversations that I knew were going to be in their near future, but the conversations that I didn't feel prepared enough to have, fearful of the fact that I was going to mess it up and, you know, make them worried or anxious or any of these things. And I remember one day talking to a patient and I just said, you know what, I'm going to spend an extra, I don't know, five, 10, however many minutes. I'm just going to sit down. I just want to hear a little bit about this person's life story. I don't really know who they are. And it's so, it's so hard sometimes to be able to do that when you have 10, 14, 20 patients on your list as a hospitalist and you have to make sure that they're all taken care of and that they're seen. There's only so many hours in a day. It's really hard to forge these relationships with patients. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to pick someone. I'm going to sit there and we're just going to talk a little bit. And we had a great conversation. I don't even remember who it was anymore or what we talked about. But I remember that I looked at the clock before and after and really It was only five, maybe 10 minutes, but I loved the interaction so much. And I was like, this is why I became a doctor. And so that for me was probably when the seed was planted. And that was about a year and a half, maybe two years into me being 
a hospitalist attending. So then I started going to conferences, learning more about palliative care. And then finally, I bit the bullet and said, you know what? I have been my own boss for four years and it's only a year fellowship. I can go back and just do it. And I'm just going to be a better doctor and a better person. I just had this feeling that it was going to be right for me, even though at the time it was incredibly scary for me to leave a job that I had gotten, had become very comfortable with. Not entirely comfortable, but much more comfortable than when I first started. So I went to fellowship um, and that that year just flies by. Before you know it, you're, you have to start looking for jobs and you're like, I literally just started a few months ago. Now I have to start looking for jobs again. Um, if anyone is considering it, please DM me, reach out to me. I'm happy to talk about it. In fact, I was catching up with a friend of mine recently who is a interventional pulmonologist uh, who did that after his Palm Crit Fellowship. And I saw him again after we caught up and he said, you know, I wonder if maybe I should do a palliative care fellowship. And I was like, of course, why not? You should do it. And he goes, you know, well, I'll think about it. It's not a no. So I was like, okay, I'll take that double negative um, if it means there's one more palliative care trained physician out in the world. Um, And the thing about palliative care fellowship is that it's not necessarily a time intensive fellowship in terms of scheduling. It's not particularly demanding in that sense. Most programs don't have crazy overnight call or things of that nature. Obviously there's variations, but It is certainly different, emotionally challenging for sure, because even though we all see death and dying in whatever residency or fellowship before palliative care, it's not something that we encounter every single day. As a hospitalist, we had patients who would die uh, patients who were on hospice in the hospital, but those were pretty infrequent for me. Um, I think unless you're pulmonary critical care, going into palliative care, that percentage or ratio of death and dying that you see is probably much higher than the other disciplines. And the other thing is, is that you don't see death outside of the discipline that you were trained in. So when I was in medicine, I never saw devastating neurologic injuries. I never saw people who died from just trauma and surgical complications or things of that nature. So, and I certainly never saw pediatric patients who had life-threatening illnesses. And so that was a big wake-up call for me that people die all the time of all different sorts of things. And it's it can be a lot. Um, I remember my very first patient of fellowship. <laughs> um, I 
She was in the ICU. She was about my age, also Chinese, and she had this terrible malignancy. And I remember I had to act as the palliative care consultant and as a Mandarin interpreter for her parents who had flown in from China to be with their dying daughter, their only daughter. And I remember being in the ICU talking to them about the fact that she was, uh, she was dying. And I remember talking to the mom and asking her, you know, is your husband coming? Because she was drifting in and out of consciousness. And she said, oh yeah, I can call him now, but it'll take him about an hour to get here. And I remember thinking, an hour? Uh, you guys live right across the river. It's a 10-minute drive. Why, why an hour? And she said, well, you know, he, we don't speak the language. He wouldn't know what bus or public transportation to take. So the safest and most reliable way for us to get here is to walk across the bridge. And I just, for some reason, that made me totally lose it. I lost it. Um, emotionally, it, it kind of broke me, I think. It was the the needle in the haystack. I remember just going, oh, okay, uh, I'll be right back. And I kind of fled to a corner of the ICU and I just started kind of bawling. And to give you a little bit of background, I thought I was a pretty good candidate to pursue palliative care. I always thought that I was very compartmentalized in my brain. I have a very strict separation of what I like to call work and state, as in work emails never come to my personal phone. I don't mix the two. I, I thought, you know, I can handle this. I can handle palliative care. <laughs> and fast forward to me being in the ICU in a corner, like full on ugly crying um, because of this case. And her, the patient's primary team found me and they were like, oh, palliative care, just exactly who we wanted to see. How was the conversation with her family and that sort of thing? And I just remember being there and, you know, full snot and, and sobbing and just being like, yeah, it was, it was a good, good conversation. I'm sorry. I just, you know, um, and, uh, it was not a good look for me by any means. And I've gotten better at it since then because I've, um, I've figured out a little bit how to deal with it. It never gets fully easy, but it's a little bit easier now than when I first started. And if you are in palliative care, if you know someone in it or you know of it, one of the most common questions that we get from other staff in the hospital is like, oh my God, I, I don't know how you do it. This is just so sad. I could never do it. It would just 
it would be too much. Uh, I would just take it home, et cetera, et cetera. And granted, it's this field isn't for everyone, but for me and I, I know for many of my colleagues who work in palliative care, it's just the work is difficult, it, but it's meaningful. Um, it's a constant reminder of the fragility of our existence, of life, that nothing is promised. You know, you're born, you live for however long it is, and then you die. And it's, I know it's sobering and probably depressing for many of you who are listening. At the same time, though, it is, there's something really liberating about it, knowing that it's just another facet of life, something that happens to all of us. And it really allows, at least allows me to be able to enjoy the moments more fully when I'm in him. Uh, just even sitting on the couch watching TV with my partner, you know, even if I'm doing nothing, I know, or at least I hope that I remember that I'm consciously doing nothing. I'm soaking up every moment that I possibly can of whatever I'm doing, whether it's vacationing, spending time with family, friends, reading, anything of that sort, because I'm constantly reminded of what lies ahead for all of us. And the more that I do this work, the more convinced I am that there is a greater purpose for all of us who have the luxury the privilege of waking up every day when we know that there are people out there, people who we personally know, or certainly people we'll never meet who do not have the same opportunity as us of just purely living, of existing. And maybe it's the other way around that the more that I do this work, the more I seek purpose or the more that I search for meaning to help explain why some people live to 104 and others can't make it past, you know, their first, second birthdays, why kids get cancer, why some family members are taken by what we call prematurely. Is is anything premature? It's a topic of conversation, I think, for another day. But it, it certainly makes you think about your time on earth. And I think that's the biggest gift that palliative care has really given me is to really try and just live, you know? Um, 
my dad has a client. He's a, my dad works in wood flooring. He's, he's his own boss. He's an entrepreneur and he has a client and I forget his name, but he always tells him, you know, Michael, if it's not life or death, it doesn't really matter. And I, I love that. It's, of course, it's a generalization or oversimplification because obviously there are tons of things that aren't life and death that do matter. But the intent, I think, is there. Don't sweat the small stuff. Focus on what really matters. You know, like how in the face of a crisis or a sick family member, the things that we hem and haw over, the things that we stress about, the things that we're like, oh my God, how is this ever going to get resolved? Or how am I ever going to get this done? Those things just kind of fade away because in the face of crisis, we discover what's really important to us. And I think that's also what the pandemic has really shown us in the past year and change, you know? And I think it's why so many people have had kind of a an awakening, if you would call it that, or a fundamental shift in their priorities because the pandemic has really brought suffering and death to the forefront of everyone's minds. And that can be extremely jarring. But at the same time, depending on how you look at it, it can be a gift in a way to be reminded of the fact that there may not be such a thing as permanence for us that so much of this is just fleeting and it's up to us to really take the opportunity that we're given and make something that is valuable to us. Perhaps to do something that feels like we're contributing to the world in a way that is meaningful to ourselves and you know We've seen a lot of people who just are like, no, this is a dead end job or relationship or friendship that I was continuing on for the sake of continuing it or because I didn't want to admit to myself that I was being untrue to who I am by continuing what I was doing. and. I think that's incredibly powerful, just that simple realization. And then people acting upon it to say, okay, this, I'm not going to do this anymore. And the creativity that we're going to see coming down the pike in the next months, years, decades because of this, I mean, that is, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. And yet on the flip side, at what expense has this occurred at? The sheer amount of human suffering that has and continues to occur is, is unimaginable sometimes. And 
at the end of the day, that's why I do this work. That's why I'm in palliative care. And I want to read to you the World Health Organization's definition of what palliative care is, because I think it's beautiful and eloquent. They say, palliative care is an approach that improves the quality of life of patients and their families facing problems associated with life-threatening illness through the prevention and relief of suffering by means of early identification an impeccable assessment and treatment of pain and other problems, physical, psychosocial, and spiritual. I mean, is that not the quintessence of medicine? I mean, I I love it so much. I wish I'd come across that definition when I was trying to decide if I was going to pursue fellowship. It would have made my life a lot easier. Like, yep, that's it. That's what I want to focus on. Sign me up for that. So as we wrap up this episode, I want to leave you with some homework, something to ponder over the coming hours, days, or weeks. In palliative care, we often engage our patients in advanced care planning conversations to get a sense of their values and how those values influence their decisions about medical care in the future. And these questions are applicable for everyone, regardless of whether you have a life-limiting illness or not. We ask, what's important to you? What are your goals? What does quality of life mean to you? And of course, those answers are different for every person. But the beauty of palliative care, and I think what lessons the pandemic has taught us is that we don't have to wait until we're given a terminal diagnosis to truly live. So ask yourself, what truly matters? What brings joy, value, and meaning to my life? Because at the end of the day, that's what counts. And if we can just soak that up, really get down to what our why is, what brings us joy in our everyday existence, what lights a spark in our soul, and just move a little bit closer towards that every day. I mean, that's, people will be unstoppable. So thank you so much for sticking around, tuning in, and I hope you can take away a little bit of something with you for the rest of your day. And thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one.